Hi everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Money Making Mothers with Heidi from Storm and a Tick Cup. So those of you who've been listening from the beginning will know that Heidi was actually the first ever guest on the show and she's actually going to be the last actual guest on the show. We've got another one next week which is the final takeover one of this season where Heidi is going to be interviewing me. So if anyone's got any questions or anything they'd like to ask, please send them in to the Instagram. Um, but yeah, thank you, Heidi, for joining me again. You're very welcome, Carla. <laughs> I have to be posh now. I've just been saying like it's it's hilarious that when we with the first ever episode we did, I remember how much I was absolutely shitting myself. Like I was Yeah, you were, and you were so like. I've got to get every tiny little bit really right. I was yeah. like, oh, bless her, because I'm just going to come and sh- shit all over that in a minute anyway. No, and make it really it. unpolitically correct. So, uh, yeah, it's pretty funny. It was ne- it's nerve-wracking, though, but now, like, it's, it's unbelievable how much... I always... It never stops to amaze me that when, like, you start something and your head's battered and you think, oh, my God, like, this is so hard. I'm not going to be able to do this. And then after a while, you're like, as if I actually thought that was hard. And I, and I was stressing over it. I love that, the way like you grow, grow with stuff and get more confident. So tell us what has happened since obviously, well, obviously on the first on the first interview, you told everyone like your backstory and, you know, how absolutely amazing you are as a person who I do love very much as a friend as well, because we are friends. So I want everyone to know what's happened since then. So since last August... Yeah, August, September. Was that, was that right? Is that when we spoke? Bloody yeah. hell. Um, it's been last August. Well, I suppose the main thing is that I've become the first person that we know of worldwide that at stage four inflammatory breast cancer has had a particular type of surgery, which is where they take your tummy and whiz it up into a boob. So... Um, that's not to say there isn't somebody else out there in my position, but we have absolutely zero record of them. So I get to wear this crown of responsibility wow. of being the first person that's had this. And the reason why it's not been popular, the surgery itself is, is popular, but for somebody to have it in my situation, you know, is as rare as rocking horse shit, basically, because um, we're either dead. Um, we usually are dead by now. Um, I mean, I was diagnosed in 2015 and uh, was stage four pretty much from the off. And uh, stage five, I guess, is death. And um, basically, yeah, people, the prognosis for uh, inflammatory breast cancer is two to five years. And it, I was at the latter shitter end of that stick because, um, you know, I'd, I'd gone on untreated and undiagnosed for such a long time. So, you know, the, what everyone expected was by the end of um, t- sort of 2016 I'd have been dead um I'm very very much alive I'm not coming from a Ouija board or anything like that um and so I was told you know I'd never get sorry I'm over talking you now but you know what I'm like like does that not like do you not ever sit and think what the fuck like yeah I do I do sometimes sit there and think what the fuck but um I'm just so bloody grateful because this was just never going to happen. And I've had this borderline miraculous turnaround where my life is really normal. And yes, I live with cancer 
sort of overhanging me a little bit but not in the sense that I wake up every day thinking oh my god I'm a cancer patient I've got incurable cancer or anything like that I never look at it like that because actually it's just really inconvenient having to go to chemotherapy every three weeks um but it doesn't make me feel ill doesn't make me feel any different I go in that's the only time I am reminded that I um, am being treated for uh lifelong cancer and then they say you know it's a life-limiting illness but I don't feel limited in my life at all actually I am doing so much more than I've ever done at any point in my life and you'd never know there was anything wrong with me to meet me um I don't feel like a person who's ill I don't feel like I have cancer I actually don't really have cancer necessarily anyway I'm just being treated it on the off chance that there are cancer cells in there that are trying to break their way through so I'm just as well if not weller than a lot of people that you'd meet that don't have that um, label attached to them because what cancer did do is kick me up the arse in terms of getting fitter and eating better and not drinking and things like that and having a healthier lifestyle so the what the fuck moments come every now and then where I'm sort of reminded in some way so say like with um the recent um, death of Sarah from um, Girls Aloud. Girls Aloud? It was yeah, Girls yeah. Aloud, wasn't yeah. it? Um, and how dreadful and awful that is and her being the same age as myself and being reminded of how quickly these things um, can take your life. And then I think, oh my God, yeah, no, I'm in that boat. Like I was told that that would happen to me and, and, and it hasn't, thank God. And uh, I think bloody hell what if it ever turned around and I think well, it, well what's the reason why it would because I've been so well for so long and actually it's become really insignificant yeah but that's what I love about the way you handle it like obviously don't don't I don't want this to come across in the wrong way because obviously it is a massive thing and it's it's not something that I don't know how you manage to deal with it in such a positive way I don't because I'm not in that position but I suppose you you wake you don't have to wake up every day thinking oh my god because you know, touch wood. I could go out in the car today and have a car accident. You know, like you could, yeah. could have a heart attack and drop down. Anyone can die at any time, but yeah. you obviously have this label diagnosis put on you. And I just think yeah. the way you've handled it, I don't care what anyone says, the way you've handled it has definitely contributed to, to, to what's happened afterwards because you've just you've just put your fingers up to it and cracked on and took took as much from it as you could, which is just so amazing. Yeah, I don't feel like it's hindered me in any way having this approach to it. But there are certain times where you do have dark periods where things do get on top of you. But as time's gone on, they've become fewer and farther between and you feel shit for a less amount of time. Um, So you suddenly start feeling, oh, my God, oh, this is dreadful. And they think, oh, fuck that. I just I don't want to feel like crap. And you just bounce back. And the thing is, there's nothing to say that I won't outlive everybody, but there's also nothing to say that I won't die from something else. This is the thing that people forget. They think you've got stage four cancer. Cancer is going to kill you. It might bloody not. You might drown or get eaten by a shark or, you know, all the other deaths and things like that. You're not immune to them. So, exactly. you know, I could live until I'm 95 and then slide down a staircase or something like you just don't know. And that, and that's the thing. Like, but I am really lucky um why you find that weird because of the stage four because of the stage four cancer is that why you are is that why it's so unusual this 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 procedure yeah so it's unusual because um with inflammatory breast cancer people the death rate is very quick and very high um just because the nature of it being it is it's a savage cancer that can like spread like wildfire through your body um so they don't expect they'll ever um 
reconstruct anyone because they won't be here for that but also because there is a slight risk that trauma to the body i.e you know, a surgery of any kind can um because what happens when you have a surgery is all your cells flood to that area to try and fix this trauma that you've got in your body that by doing that you could activate uh, a sort of dormant cancer cell i suppose that's the sort of really idiot proof way of explaining it mm. um so that when you have if you were stage three with inflammatory breast cancer which is the lowest stage that you can be um basically you could have this surgery at that point because you're still deemed curable before you reach stage four you still have to wait a much longer period of time between having a mastectomy which you have to have with inflammatory breast cancer um you're you have to have a larger period of time waiting to have that reconstruction for those reasons about um about reactive reactivating things and a lot of people in that time will choose not to have reconstruction because of the the slight risk of reactivating um and people don't want to go, don't want to spend any more time recovering from surgery because it's a major, major operation. Um, so to have it at stage four is just not heard of because, you know, a lot of people are a lot are a lot older than me as well, I suppose. And they probably don't want to go through the recovery stages. And that being said, I have met women without inflammatory breast cancer that have had reconstruction, some in their 70s, which I think is wonderful. Awesome. Um but people just think, oh, I don't want to put my body through any more bloody recovery and I'm happy being flat on one side, which I was until I was told. Because when I first met you, Carla, you're, you asked me, you put your hand up in the audience and said, among, among, among many other lovely things that you said to me, but you did say, can you not get a, another boob? And I said, you know, I, I can't. It's not an option for me because I was told undoubtedly there's no way you'd ever qualify to have reconstruction. So I just lived my life with one giant tit on one side and completely flat on the other. And I just got used to it. But as time's gone on and I've become a somewhat of an enigma, I suppose, in the sense that, you know, it is rare to live this long and this well with the, the diagnosis that I have. As I was then told, have you thought about maybe having this reconstruction surgery? Because you're just in this boat in a way on your own. We don't yeah. really, we never see yeah. it. So yeah. how would you think about it? And I thought, my God, it's actually an option for me to have two boobs. Um, that would be really cool, particularly, I'm, you know, I'm only 38. I've got loads of life left in me. Um, it would be nice to put even more gap between me and, and cancer and feel as more normal. I'm never going to be completely normal because I'm slightly unhinged, but I'm never, but it'd be nice to have a little bit more of that gap and but because there's so little research about inflammatory breast cancer I then had to consult quite a few people outside of my oncology team and say what do you think and in the end I spoke to the top top inflammatory breast cancer specialist from America who said to me do you know what in your position that you're in and how well you're doing and how brilliant you're responding to everything I think you should go for it did you not so thought, shit yourself like because of the like I know you don't do well with like you bit you're like you give you something and you you're gonna like bat against it and go against what's normal but like it because of the thing I didn't realize that it had some risk with it like did you not think oh my god like what if that brings something up I did there was a tiny part of me that thought oh my god what if this is the thing that I do that then turns everything round and puts me back on the course for death kind of thing? Um, and then I'll be kicking really? myself in the fanny. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll be kicking myself in the fanny for ages about making this terrible decision. 
But then you have to weigh it up. You can only deal. This is what I've learned with all the shit that's happened to me and my family, our, da our daughter dying, you know, me having this horrible illness and being told all these bloody things. That I was definitely going to die and this, that and the other. We had to make lots of decisions really quickly with the information that we had at the time. And so looking at it like, OK, there's a tiny, tiny chance that having a surgery may reactivate your cancer. Um, but we don't have any research really to base that on because nobody's done it um then you've got a top top expert in your field telling you that actually to treat you as an individual Heidi you can bloody do this and I think you should go for it and then versus the fact that I, you know I am only 38 if anyone's gonna freaking do it it's gonna be me because I've already stuck both middle fingers up to everybody that's gonna have told me I'd have died seven million times before now <laughs> And if anyone can do it, it's going to be me. And do you know what? The, the Any bit of doubt that was there was so microscopic that as soon as I got that last bit of encouragement from America, I thought, no, I'm going to do this. And on the day of the surgery, when I went in and they draw on you and all that malarkey, yeah. said, how are you feeling about the surgery? And I said, and honestly, I am so excited. I can't wait. Get me down there knock me out and let's get this going because I tell you this is I've been look this is a milestone yeah. for me that is absolutely <laughs> massive and I just couldn't wait I just couldn't wait when I woke up and I looked down and I saw this boob and it's just a boob it is just a boob but to have a cleavage again honestly it was just absolutely amazing then I looked down and I was like oh there's no tummy there and then I looked down and I saw that they'd shaved my fanny the whole lot was completely bold and that was the most shocking thing out of everything. Oh my God, some poor blokes had to shave my flaps and everything. I was absolutely mortified, I can tell you. Why did you and, uh, do it before surgery? Pardon? Why did you not do it before surgery? Well, I trimmed it, but I didn't know you had to like completely mow it to like a beetle bonnet. I was gobsmacked, absolutely. <laughs> what was it trim? What were you doing? Straightening it? <laughs> well, I just, you know, like just a little one of them little bikini buzzer thingies and it was really short because that's what I normally do yeah. I'm not one of these like raw chicken girls or yeah. anything like I can't I haven't got the pain threshold for that and um so I was absolutely gobsmacked that all this like the lot no not just talking the top we're talking the undercarriage and everything and I thought why do they need to do that there was barely anything I there mean, anyway did anyone, did anyone ask for your consent to do that well no it was probably in the small print like if you've got a mega bush or something we might <laughs> we may need to give you a haircut why but um I was just I was gobsmacked but I was honestly the elation was was amazing and this feeling of there is an amount of pressure obviously because there will be people in the inflammatory breast cancer world now watching to see what's going to happen to me and yeah but mostly what it will do I believe is give people even more hope that actually you may be told you'll never have two boobs ever again in the rest of your life and amongst other things they tell you when you have cancer this will never happen that one will never happen well I'm proving a lot of things wrong and I think that I hope that if people are I mean I get a lot of people that are newly diagnosed with IBC they find me on the internet and they come and they always say this is the one thing that I found that has actually not made me feel like shite about my yeah. diagnosis because I can see that you were told all these really bad things you've got like the thing that everyone fears which is incurable cancer but actually your life is 
yeah it's really normal and if not it's exciting I have an exciting life like I do lots of really great things all the time and I'm very lucky for that but cancer has given me that opportunity so to then be a person that blazes a trail for women with stage four IBC to have this surgery I think is so an amount of pressure but also it's an amazing gift to be able to show people that you know there is a lot of people that will live outside that average and uh, and I'm one of them so like I know I'm, I'm I don't I'm going to bring it up because I need to because I'm I'm furious about it you do get some dicks though don't you because that oh god yeah oh, god. like yeah. what is wrong what is actually wrong with people like that comment that she that woman it was a woman wasn't it Oh, the one about, oh, basically about the charity thing, that because I hadn't died, she wanted her money back. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's brilliant. Do you know, it's a really weird thing, but what it is, is it says a lot about um, what knobheads there are out there and how sad and weird people are that think like that. Because you get trolls, you get people that do it just for fun, and then, then there are genuine people like her that have really <laughs> bizarre opinions. Right. For anyone listening, the crux of that is, when I was really, really ill at the beginning, and we'd, you know, I was told I had a year um, and I looked like shit. I had the bald head. I was bloated. I looked like a completely different person. Um, one of my friends did a charity event locally to raise money for me and the kids to go and tick something off like a bucket list thing, like a trip to America. And we were given £6,000 to right. go and do what we wanted with it. And I went and spent it all in America. And it was absolutely amazing. We had a great time. And when I and after that, and I came back and I started to, um, I guess, do better and I changed drugs again. I had another spread and stuff like that. And um, I did better and better. And then because I just had this surgery, this woman said, what happened to all the money from the bucket list? And people were like, well, what do you mean? She was like, well, you know, I think she should have given that to somebody who was actually ill. Oh, um, I mean, where's it all gone? I was like, oh, my God, this is unreal. I was basically saying I'd like my five pounds back that I donated to your charity event because you haven't died like it was really dark but it was quite funny at the same time because I think oh my god imagine being that person that thinks like that that goes oh, I'd love to donate this this money to this poor woman and then maybe off the back of that holiday that's given her a bit of hope and set her in a more positive mindset or whatever she's now started to do better and you feel pissed off and out of pocket because she doesn't have the audacity to keel over like it's absolutely hysterical like imagine being like that how rude are you and not be dead like how rude absolutely outrageous isn't it like i think you should give her money back plus interest you you should i wanted to i contacted her i did and i messaged her and i said i'm sure you don't mean to sound like a prick but you do sound like a prick um because she's local she's a local woman said what you've written is is really weird um but I really insist on returning your money so if you could let me know how much it was or I can donate it to a charity of your choice obviously she didn't come back to to that she came back saying lots of people have the same opinion about you Heidi and I was like well but but what like these are her imaginary friends don't get me wrong these people honestly god like that's shit like that that's where I'd lose my head yeah I mean the the good thing about well the good and the bad the bad thing about being in the in the public eye to an extent is you get this kind of crap but the good thing is is your your followers or whatever are like take these people down with no mercy so 
it ended up with a load of people getting banned from like our local newspaper facebook site and all kinds of things like that all their comments were deleted because they were just like ah, like take and you just watch it unfold and you think well yeah it's just absolutely ridiculous but like you know she said that i was too as you've probably seen the, the comments i was too well um I looked suspiciously uh, healthy for somebody that had stage four incurable cancer because I was on telly and I was doing radio interviews and I'm always doing these cool things and therefore it's a bit suspicious and it's but it just basically says to you that people honest to god it just it it makes you want to like rip somebody's head off but at the same time you just think it just goes to show that absolute lack of understanding and stereotypical view of what people with uh, cancer look like because I didn't fit that brief. I mean, I did when she gave me that fiver. No. I looked brilliantly unwell for her to the point that I was puking in the toilets at the charity. Deserve the she five pound Deserves the five you know? pound. Yeah. And um, so basically, but people with stage four cancer don't necessarily look how you're expecting them to. I get this when I book clients for talks and I go to talks and I turn up and people double take me because they don't realise that's who they've booked because I think they're expecting sometimes people to walk in that are bold, that look unable or, uh, you know, have got some kind of visual impairment that makes them stand out. But actually, they're completely oblivious to the fact that there are tons of people living very very full lives even fuller than before out there with stage four incurable cancer and like I say like there's nothing to say now that I won't outlive everybody I am the cockroach of cockroaches the thing is that's the most the 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 stupidity of it is that's the most inspiring part about it like with all due respect like that's what makes you so different and so amazing like and that's why people want to know and are interested because you have that you aren't that you are you haven't accepted being a cancer victim you you try and make sure you live your life to the fullest like the people like that like what are they wanting are they not happy unless you know you're dying and and you're suffering like probably people want to see it the other side of it because it gives everyone hope that cancer doesn't mean you're going to die it means you've you've had a diagnosis it's it's a different it's two different things but like in terms of your recovery from the surgery like how is it being I know like I've seen I've seen some very graphic photos at the beginning <laughs> I was literally I'm an I, what did you say to me your message room was like are you squeamish and I was like yeah I am and you're like right well hold tight like and I was like <laughs> <laughs> but so interesting like as if yeah. that's what you've done like but explain like what like it's like they've took it off your tummy and put it in your boob yeah yeah like it's basically like that so the mastectomy that there's different types of mastectomies that you can have the one i had is called a non-skin sparing one which basically means everything is taken away no skin tissue nip nothing like that is left and you're just left with a complete line of completely flat like to the point that your ribs show so i needed a transplant which included skin um fat and tissue and they have to take that from your own body um, because you can't put an implant under skin when there is no skin, really, because oh, you'd be, yeah, yeah, you couldn't stretch. People have things called expanders, which help to stretch the skin. But when there's no skin there to begin with, you can't do that. You're like, it's impossible, really. So they have to take this do- this donor thing. So 
they pull all your, your tummy downwards. And I didn't have a lot because I exercise like a mofo. There wasn't really a lot to work with anyway. So they did say it will be quite small, but, you know, we'll get you there. So I was like, OK. Um, so they pull everything downwards. They start, they create a new belly button. They cut off effectively, which is like, um, it's like a bum bag shape is probably a good way to explain it. They cut that away stitch you back up but actually while they're in there they have to remove a blood vessel that's going to supply the blood to the breast sure so I had to, yeah it was it was mental so I had to have my tummy muscles pulled apart uh -huh. um which is is probably where the recovery is that that bit harder um and then so then you've got two surgical sites both major drains in all this kind of thing um and yeah I mean they said like you won't be returning to any kind of exercise until a minimum of six weeks, six to eight weeks. But I mean, I was I was at walking six days after surgery, like doing steps and trying to get myself back up to some sort of fitness as quickly as I could. I was back doing yoga after four weeks, very gradually. Don't get me wrong. I wasn't being stupid, but yeah, I was back to doing yoga and everything after that time. Um because I was quite quite fit before that, that really helped me. And also I'm determined and stubborn and yeah. I wanted to get back up and get going as quickly as possible. And I would say I'm eight weeks post-op uh, next week. It's been and um, yeah, Lord. so I'll be, uh, it's gone really quickly and I'll be um, getting back on my horse this week. Um, so yeah, and then I have to have another surgery to, my other my natural breast is gargantuan um so that's going to be made a lot smaller so then i'll have two perky little ladies Unbelievable. on my chest i just find in the way they like recycle everything i think it's, it's brilliant like they use i think i've got a new belly button and they must have made that out some of my tummy skin because it's got a couple of stretch marks on it that were from when i had the boys and i was looking at it going oh my god and they yeah they like folded up a piece of skin to like make a belly button shape and like poked it into a hole which is it's it was really good it's better than the original actually and that you're the first person ever to have that is just like you're just smashing all expectations aren't you as usual yeah and like, like i said before not the first person to have that like that surgery is quite common in like normal breast cancer yeah, but as you, stage four yeah, with IBC. I mean, some people with stage four would have had it before with different types of breast cancer, but um, like to have it is with my particular um, situation, yeah, is the first person that they've ever come across worldwide. So it's, uh, yeah, it's quite major, quite a lot of pressure. No, because obviously, like you will get a lot of people getting in touch who have had diagnosed, like the similar diagnosis. Does it ever, like, this may come across a bit, sound a bit harsh, but does it ever drain you because they're in a different stage to where you are? Like, what's the word? Do you know, like when you're in like a positive mindset and you want to help people, but then they're like, they're not in that place. They're not in the position to be able to see it. Does it ever yeah. be like, right, you're draining me. Like you're not in that. Like, how do you deal with that? Yeah, it's really difficult because I know that when I was first diagnosed, I went looking for my equivalent and I didn't exist anywhere on the Internet, which is why I started storming a tick cut, because all of the sort of personal stories that I could find were all really depressing. Um, so I, but I remember how alone that made me feel. 
and really isolated that I couldn't find anybody out there to give me any kind of positivity whatsoever. So there's a huge amount of, I wouldn't call it pressure, I call it a sense of duty that when anybody contacts me, I think I know how you feel because I felt like that and I couldn't find anyone. So I always give people my time of day. It's, um, it's not draining as such, it's emotionally quite difficult. The things I find harder are the, the parents that come looking for me that their children have died. And, you know, I obviously talk about my daughter, Ali, and, and that can be, can really, get, that is a lot harder than cancer by um, a mile, millions of miles, to be fair. Um, and I find that hard because I can feel their pain all over again, particularly in the early days when people cannot see the way out of that fog at all, that they just think that they're going to feel so deep in grief forever so what's the point because that feeling is so unbearable and you're very aware that you're dealing with people that could potentially have be having suicidal thoughts yeah. and things like that so and I'm not like a trained person to deal with things like that so I'm obviously always very careful to say okay that if you feel like a really particular way this is who you need to contact and these people were really good to me and that person was really good to me um in the cancer terms I'm quite, um, I'm very much like, what I guess I say is, well, look at me. I was given the worst breast cancer diagnosis that you can have. And look at me. If that doesn't give you hope, there's not, I could write you 5 million words on how you should change your mindset and this and the other, but all you need to do is just look at me. And I was told I would die. It would be really quick um you know all those kinds of things and all those things were still going on even when dealing with the grief of our, our daughter dying um but all you need to do is look is look at me and see that I've gone completely way beyond that expectation and then you'll get people that I guess will send me pictures of their boobs in a non-sexual fashion and say do you think I've got inflammatory breast cancer um, and I'm like, well, I'm not a doctor. You do need to go and have a biopsy. That's how you get a diagnosis. But I appreciate that you're looking for that. But I can only tell you my experience of it. Um, and then there will be, you get the odd weird person as well. I've got, there's been a few that have faked cancer diagnosis to, to reach out and connect with me. Um, but I'm, I, you get quite astute at sort of picking out these people. And I have a way of filtering them. I filter them through um, the inflammatory breast cancer network that will then will then deal with people that are in that situation. Because clearly there's things going on in their life. They're not completely well if they're doing those kinds of things. Yeah. Um, but it's quite easy to spot now who's genuine and who isn't or who's looking for something. But just wants that connection kind of thing. Um, it's weird. People are strange. There are a lot of strange people out there. There are people that are jealous of my diagnosis um, and uh, don't know how to deal with it. So they're, they're nasty. Um, there are, you get it all. Oh, what, you know, I've had awful trolls and things like that before um, telling me that I should lie in my cancer bed and die and all this kind of thing. But after a while, you you start to see the humour in all of it because you just think that is so... Like, you're so, you are, that's the, the biggest thing I admire about you is the way you, you handle it with humour. Like, it's definitely the right way to do it. But, like, you're so good at it. Like, the way... Like you initially, like that that one, for example, I read that and I was fuming. I was so angry. But then when I spoke to you and you were like, 
yeah, but she's just annoying because I'm not dead. Like, she expected yeah. me. And I was like, <laughs> it's just hilarious the way you twist it, but it is, it makes it feel like less, I don't know, what's the point? What's the point in wasting your emotions on someone? Yeah, who- there's no point, and, and that's what they want. They see someone who feels crap about themselves will look at somebody like me and see on paper all the shit that's happened, and they'll go, that person should feel horrific and dark and sad all the time why is she so damn happy why is she positive that's outrageous what can I do to bring her down to my level and that's that's their sort of intention and it's nothing winds people up like that even more they're just good and they're laughing in their face like the person that said to me soon you will die goodbye did you see that one that was on LinkedIn. It was really bizarre. It was like they'd set up a whole profile for the whole purpose of of trolling me. And it was like, you're going to die and all this. And I just, I did really genuinely make me laugh because A, I read it like Anne Robinson's weakest link. You will die. Goodbye. And I just read it and I was like, oh my God, that's really funny. And underneath, I just thought, cool, you're a dark little soul, aren't you? Chances are you'll probably die before me because your small, shriveled up black heart will corrode your entire body. And I just left it like that. And it was just really funny because I just thought, well, they can't really come back from that, can they? And, uh, you know, it's just you've got to laugh at it because these people are just dark, horrible, sad individuals that, you know, can't deal with other people having any kind of enjoyment in their life, particularly when on paper they should be um, like completely destroyed so it just reminds people how inadequate they are sometimes I think and yeah and that's why they feel the need to to lash out at others and that's why it's so important obviously as we know on social media to be kind to people because you know I would never I you, you I just never would ever write anything like that to somebody it would never even come into my world to even think to write that to somebody but yeah, God, I mean, they there are people out there that are just very weird, but yeah. Well, like, you're obviously, you the, the amount of support and, and relatability you'd be able to give to people and, and hope, where any, like, listeners or any listeners who've got family members or friends who are going through something similar, not necessarily, you know, the same diagnosis, but cancer in general, where do they find you like where's the best place to see you interact with you on social media or get like some you know background of your story yeah I mean if just my storm in a tick cup um social media or Heidi Lachlan l-o-u-g-h-l-i-n um you quite easily find me if you just type my name into google all sorts of things will come up um it, obviously it's very sweary and that kind of thing it's not for everybody but yeah my main thing is 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 positivity but I'm not one of those um people that would say oh you can think yourself free of cancer or anything no modern medicine is absolutely the way to go a hundred percent and that is the huge contributing factor to why I'm as well as I am um but my main thing to get across to anybody of friends and family or anyone newly diagnosed is that Um, especially in the UK our oncologist nature is to err on the side of the doom Um, they don't like to give people false hope um, and that kind of thing so you've got not take it with a pinch of salt I'm not downplaying cancer cancer is very very shit it is very shit but 
there's so much progress being made every single day. And if I'd bought into everything that I was told about how dire my situation was, well, I'd have fucking given up yeah. in 2015 because it was so bad. And every appointment that I went to was like being hit by a wave. It was all bad news constantly. Oh, this has not worked and that hasn't worked. And this has shown up on this scan. And unfortunately this looks like this and that and blah. And it just went on and on and on. But that's not to say that four lines of treatment down, everything might turn around for you. And that's what you've got to hang on to. And like, it certainly worked for me erring on the side of positivity and thinking, well, but what if they're wrong? And it's not hindered me in any way. I am almost, God, what year is it? 2016. So, I mean, yeah, I've so I've massively outlived my prognosis. And now the oncologist's like, well, we just think you're just going to keep going on and on and on now because you're just doing so incredibly well. Um, and it's just about just having that little bit of hope because I've met people that have had a much tamer diagnosis than me and that's not to belittle anything because it's psychologically in every way cancer never leaves you regardless mm. of whether you're cured or not um that have given up straight away the minute they're told you have cancer but it but, but we you probably won't even need chemo we won't need radio you just need a surgery or you just need this that, and the other but that's it then they're like well I'm fucked I've got cancer that's me done you've got to not look at things like that I mean you've really got to think oh whew, I dodged a bullet there that's brilliant you know and just keep plodding on because having that well nothing's taking me down attitude and the few people that I've met that are like me they all seem to do really well the people that just keep going and not letting it define them are the ones that seem to do really really well in this and uh that would be my main thing is to just keep keep focusing but also to remember that you're not a robot that has to put a brave face on things all the time because I've certainly had very dark stages where you know things have really got to me um, but it's finding your coping mechanism and everyone's is different I find mine in chocolate horse riding and my friends and uh, they've been the most important thing to me and cancer will get one in two of us at some point in our life but get doesn't mean it's going to kill you yeah. it just means it's going to be part of your life for a long or short period of time for me it's forever but I've never felt more alive than I do now I'm making plans for the future that will probably make some people curl up with horror so no, you know like I am determined to be here for, I'll, I'll outlive everybody so I honestly don't doubt me for a second I don't and I just I know I, I say it all the time but honestly you're just my biggest like I've never met anybody like you in my life is so inspiring and anyone who needs any form of like help or laugh or like reason to think I can keep going needs to go and look at Storm in a Tiff Cup because it's insane like the, I've never ever been moved the way I was when you spoke that day and I've, I don't think I've ever like when you know something touches you and it stays there like that's that's the impact you have on people and everybody needs to experience it so please go and see and check it out because she is incredible and you are going to be the hostess with the mostess on the final <laughs> next week which will be interesting um i'm a bit a tiny bit scared to be honest because i know you're <laughs> you're definitely going to come on like trevor mcdonald i know you will and oh, it's revenge time that's what yeah. it is imagine you your pants you shall <laughs> 
<laughs> so yeah, everyone tune in for the last episode next week, which will be the my takeover episode. Well, Heidi's takeover episode interviewing me. But for now, thank you so much, love, for coming on again today. For the You're last- welcome. Thanks for having me. Right.